0: An welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake and Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren. First of all, I'm joined by Justin Eakins from Poorly Summarized. An <laughs> And I'm also joined by uh, Jonathan Frederick. Uh, who was previously guested on um, The Cast Next Door,
1: is that correct? Yes, sir.
0: And today we're going to be covering episode 16 of season 2, which is Meet the Veals. Uh, It was broadcast on the 3rd of April 2005. It was written by Barbie Adler and Richard Rosenstock, both of whom I've talked about in great detail before, because they have written a number of episodes at this particular point. And it's directed by Joe Russo, who of course, with his brother, directed the pilot, and they've both directed a number of episodes um, since then. Uh, yes, the title "Meet the Veals" is spelt uh, M-E-E-T, and obviously veal is a type of meat, so M-E-A-T. The yes, so the the episode uh, has a pun in the title, like a number, like uh, uh, alter egos and um, peer pressure. They both did a similar thing. Yeah, that's right. And I'm going to read you the summary, as I found it on IMDb, and it goes as follows. Michael thinks that George Michael has set the bar too low with his dating standards, so he sets up a meeting between Anne's ultra-conservative parents and his family, hoping that would break them up. But the plan backfires when Michael realizes Anne's family is just as screwed up as his. I don't think that's really completely accurate because I don't think the Veals are that screwed up, right. and I don't think they're that conservative. And that's
2: not really why the
0: plan um, backfired.
2: It backfired because his family didn't. His family failed to disappoint him by failing to disappoint him.
0: <laughs> I think more important is the idea that it's the anniversary of George and Lucille's marriage. Um, so I guess from this episode, we, we get the, the date of when they got together, but we're never told how many years they've been together. Uh, though I think when we see Michael's birth certificate, it turns out he was born in 65, I think. Mm. Um so I'm assuming, uh, you know, as this as this episode was set in 2005, maybe there and maybe they were together before they had Job. Although, again, in season three, there's an implication that Lucille kind of tricked George Sr. by getting pregnant. <laughs> um, and Job's a couple of years older than Michael. So I don't know, maybe they've been married since a, since about 63 ish, somewhere around there. So this is kind of like the 42nd anniversary something like that.
2: Very impressive. Your your knowledge of this of this uh, of the, of the canon is uh, encyclopedic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just guessing here at the
0: maths. Uh yeah, so I mean, I guess if if we say it's like probably their 45th anniversary, maybe somewhere around there. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the main the main story is about um, Oscar holding an anniversary party for Lucille, despite the fact that George, to the knowledge of Lucille and Oscar, is no longer in like in the country or nearby. Um, they're, they're, this episode is actually quite interesting because... Up until this point, Tobias and Michael know that George Sr. is in the attic. And then, um, you know, Lindsay saw George Sr. when she was whacked out on Xanotab, um or Temasil, one of those many supplements. Um, consult your doctor. Um, so she's seen him, but she doesn't realize that he's in the attic. Uh, obviously, you know, maybe and and George, Michael don't know he's in, a, in the attic because of the kind of ruse that, that they played where they had and they pretended that George Sr. had escaped from the attic. Um, and obviously this is when Job finds out that he's in the attic. And in the next episode, Kitty will turn up and kidnap George Sr. from the attic. Um, so it's interesting how few people over this season actually realise that George Senior's in the attic. Uh... You know, um, although in the cutscene, the narrator says that Tobias and Mrs. Featherbottom know. <laughs> so he, he talks about them as if they're two distinct
2: personalities, which I quite like. Even the is playing along with the gag.
0: Um, which
2: Mrs. Featherbottom only started a couple of episodes before this, and basically by the next episode it will be over. Yeah, in my mind, I remembered Mrs. Featherbottom being a longer-running joke, uh, but we get very, very quickly from the debut of Mrs. Featherbottom, to peak, Mrs. Featherbottom, which is, I, I think, when she jumps off the, the from the second floor and, and smashes the uh, the table. That's kind of where where, she, where Mrs. Featherbottom jumps the shark, so to speak.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's a very quick storyline. The plan, apparently, with the four episodes that were cut from this season, because obviously, you know, episode sixteen, we're only two episodes away from the season finale already. <laughs> the The plan was to have Mrs. Featherbottom be the storyline that ran for at least. The majority of those four episodes so it would have really oh really yeah it would have been around for like six or seven episodes it would have been the whole of tobias's kind of story for the back half of the season and obviously with the episodes <laughs> being cut they just they just kind of just put it, this very quick story into like three or four episodes um and interestingly of course <laughs> when we get to the finale tobias mentions that he's been michael's assistant uh, and he gets really angry and he says like he develops an eating disorder and again that would have been like a the the mrs featherbottom stuff would have run parallel with him being michael's assistant that was one of the stories that they they basically had to cut down
2: i don't know i feel like compressing the mrs featherbottom story into just uh four episodes or whatever uh sort of makes it more even more ridiculous and and i think sells the (laughs) joke in a way even more yeah um but before we get into the story um proper
0: Uh, i'm gonna ask both of you when you first came to arrest development i'm gonna start with uh jonathan um did you i mean you're 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 a younger person so i don't know if you would have been able to watch it when it was on the air um so when did you come to it
1: uh well i i'm actually very very new to the show um i was only i wasn't even 12 years old when this episode came out uh my pop culture interests were in the realm of Star Wars and Spider-Man, so this wasn't really up my wheelhouse, but once I, once I started seeing some of the various jokes appear on social media, um, I got into the show, I think, a year ago. Um, I actually haven't finished it yet. I've only been through the first two seasons, so.
0: That is, that is crazy. So we're actually spoiling stuff here from season three.
2: A little bit, yeah, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> Jonathan is rich with unwatched. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a way, I'm jealous of you.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, that's crazy. So you've actually you finished season two. I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. That is great. I don't think I don't think we've had anyone on so far who hasn't got to the end of the show. <laughs>
2: um you might be the first uh that's kind of crazy Yay. um so at- darren what's your favorite season uh have you said this on the show before
0: i haven't no i mean um i really like i mean my favorite kind of run of the episodes is the start of season three with the whole stuff with mr f like that that and, oh, yeah. and all the stuff with charlie Steyron, that little run because it's on one it's on one dvd as well if you have the DVDs, mm. that first half of season three is basically like a three-hour like film, because it just all runs like on one DVD. So if I ever if I ever get, like feel like watching Arrested Development, I'll just stick the first half of season three on and just watch all of the stuff with with Charlie's there on. That's like my favorite little run. But I think the back half of season three is a lot weaker, so I couldn't say yeah. that's my favorite season. Um, But I do I like this. I mean, the thing is, it's really the, the kind of like whatever your favorite season is, is based on what George Sr. you like, I think, because I like the stuff with George Sr. in the attic. And I like the fact that they have Oscar. And I've said this many times before. I think Jeffrey Tambor plays both characters so well that it feels like Oscar's a whole different actor playing that character. And so it's nice that they yeah. expanded Jeffrey Tambo's role so that for the second season, you have him confined to the attic, but you also have him out and about as Oscar. But I, don't, I, think, I think I really like George Sr. in prison so much. And the first season is a full 22 episodes. So you actually get to see them do yeah. kind of the first 13, they do the stuff with Marta, and then the back half, they kind of do a few different storylines. I mean, I think the stuff, when they bring back Maggie Liza in season two, with all the pregnancy and everything and the kind of, I think that's that I like that more than I like the Maggie Liza stuff where she's pretending to be blind. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. For for me,
2: the second season is, is the best season just because you've got, uh, you know, this first season is very strong, but you, you don't have the. By, by the second season, you have so many in jokes to reference and callbacks. Yeah. That uh, even though I think the second season as a standalone isn't as strong as the first, when you, with all the callbacks, it kind of I think it it really encapsulates what makes what makes uh, Arrested Development so great. And then by the third season, I think they start, they start getting a little bit so zany because they're just, they're just trying anything to try to get the thing to stick and to appeal to some demographic.
0: Well, I mean, there is a comment, sort of commentary on that in one of the cutscenes from this episode where Lindsay's talking about her husband to Mrs. Veal, and then she talks about how she loves her husband, and then Mrs. Veal says, that's very sweet. And then we hear Mrs. Featherbottom, and she goes, and somehow it took a turn. And I feel like some of that summarizes <laughs> kind of what happens in season three, where you you feel a lot of the characters take these really weird turns and yeah. it just becomes like kind of trying to top the joke but yeah i I mean I really enjoy season two, but I think some of that is just the fact that you, it's slightly um, it 's kind of um, kind of got a bit of a broader scope because a lot of the stuff in season one was so heavily linked with the prison. The fact that both Job yeah. and Tobias end up going into prison at some point. And both of them, you know, Joe only spends one episode in there, but Tobias spends like three episodes in prison, like, and nobody notices he's got he's gone. That's the thing as well. So I like season one, but um, I mean. I should ask Justin, when did you come to the show? Did you watch it when it was first airing or? Uh,
2: so I should, I guess I should have been, Um I was in college during Arrested Development, uh, the, the whole run of it, and, uh, we had, we had a television, but it wasn't connected to anything, we would just watch DVDs on it, and so, like, we would binge watch, uh, 24, for example, on DVD. Uh, we we actually broke into uh, some friends' apartments because they had the DVDs and we watched like a cliffhanger episode and then they um, took the DVDs away and we we were we needed to see the next episode so we 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 broke in we couldn't find them um, but uh, <laughs> it, yeah so we were just we were the type, the type that binge watched DVDs and so I, I went to a, a friend of mine uh, we were hanging out and he's like you've got you've got to watch this and he was insistent he sat me down and forced me to watch I, I think two episodes and and, it, and the, my first impression of Arrested Development was Just, I wasn't used to seeing television shot this way. Uh, The the Hulu documentary on Arrested Development says that it was really the first episode where it looked this bad in terms of just uh, you know shoulder round cameras or whatever. Uh, It had that kind of weird documentary feel, and uh, that was my first impression. Was like, wow, this is really weird. It feels like I'm watching like a home movie or something. Um, But I think by maybe the second or third episode, it really kind of it hooked me in fact it's
0: been a common thing that people have said they they didn't really watch it when it was on the air but if they got once they got to college there were people who were like here's all the dvds watch the, watch all the dvds and that does seem to be like a common thing or people you know who may have got them by slightly less uh than legal means and uh and kind of just went made their way through them that way um but yeah i think i think the advantage of it being on netflix now is you know and obviously being kind of Almost owned by Netflix. It, it, it's kind of, um, you know, you don't have to go around breaking into people's apartments to get DVDs <laughs> to watch the next episode. Not like the old um, days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Um,
0: okay. Well, then let's get into the let's get into the plot proper. Um, you know, we we start with um, <laughs> with a lot of Mrs. Featherbottom stuff. In fact, this episode is quite heavily Mrs. Featherbottom. There's a whole lot of stuff with. Uh, at the first, especially at the start with uh, with maybe and Mrs Featherbottom, and then later on in the episode when Mrs Featherbottom is at the is at the party, there's there's quite a lot of Tobias as Mrs Featherbottom, um, and we only get one little bit of the uh, the weird meta commentary on David Cross never growing a mustache for the run of <laughs> Arrested Development, because it t- it took me a few episodes to realise that David Cross. As Tobias never has a moustache, um, he's completely clean shaven. He has a fake moustache for the entire run of the show. And they only really play that up when they get to Mrs. Featherbottom. And as Mrs. Featherbottom, he's, he's clean shaven, obviously. But then when he reverts with a, with a fake nose, but then when he reverts to being Tobias, he wears a fake moustache that looks fake. And it just becomes this really weird thing where he's got this mustache with like little curls at the end. And it just looks
2: really <laughs> it's obviously like a, fake—a fake, fake mustache. Yeah,
0: and I, it's such a weird thing that they went to the trouble of having this almost like you never, you never really would notice that David Cross has a fake mustache as Tobias, apart from when they deliberately bring it up as a thing here. So uh, yeah. it's just, it's just a really weird choice. <laughs> when Tobias walks in, um, you know. He's basically been forced to move out of the house since kind of the middle of season two. Um, And obviously, Mrs. Featherbottom was his way to get back into the house. Um, Of course, when he first arrived, he said he was he'd been sent by the agency, despite the fact Lindsay had not signed up for any agency to to find a nanny or anything. (laughs) You know, the narrator summed it up as being a, <laughs> as being a lot like the plot of Mrs. Doubtfire, and then whenever Tobias starts singing, he goes, and there's a bit of Mary Poppins thrown in there, which I which I kind of like.
2: Yeah, this is this is the kind of joke that I think lent, that, that that gets so much better because the narrator is there to just call out how obvious it is. Without that narrator, you know, that may be a criticism of this joke. Uh, yeah, but with with the narrator in on it, it just makes it that much better.
0: Well, I love that we get this we get this weird thing, of course, where Mrs. Featherbottom. Tobias has adopted a very, very English personality, where he starts talking about...
2: Food like a banger in the mouth! Oh, right,
0: I forgot. Being in the States, you call it a sausage in the mouth. And of course, Michael goes,
2: no, we just call it a sausage. Like After saying the sausage in the mouth, he's like, we just call it a sausage. I think that banger in the mouth, sausage in the mouth, just sausage uh, sequence is maybe my favorite dialogue uh, from the entire run of this uh of the show because it's just so ridiculous
0: <laughs> yeah and of course the, i mean this is just in the flashback uh, and the narrator tells us uh you know everyone knew it was tobias but the house had never been cleaner um which i kind of which i kind of <laughs> like uh and then of, of course <laughs> tobias says uh hello young lady i haven't seen you in a week and then maybe kind of immediately unloads <laughs> saying um,
1: that means Mrs. Featherbottom isn't here, which means she didn't iron my blouse, which means I don't have anything to wear for my premiere.
0: And then, of course, she she has to correct herself. Something that maybe has been doing a lot when she, while she's been the head of um, this studio, where she's like
1: the premiere of Canada. He's going out with my gym teacher. <laughs> and
2: it's just such a, I love that. Basically, how do I how do I wind that back? Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. I love how no one kind of picks up on that Maybe has this job and that she keeps making these slip-ups. And they they basically just keep kind of... She keeps correcting herself, but it's not like anyone's like, what's going on with Maybe? (laughs) Like
2: nobody cares at all.
0: (laughs) This is where we get introduced to Simon uh, Hedberg as uh, Jeff the Reader. Currently, he is one of the highest paid actors on American television (laughs) um, on The Big Bang Theory. Um, but here he's just a very small role, and um, he 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 basically has been doing maybe's homework <laughs> is, is is what his role is, um, and you know maybe kind of like when when, when it's pointed out that um, the the reading assignment he's been given, uh, which is Voices in America: History in Perspective, he says it's a ninth grade history textbook. <laughs> maybe says
1: yeah, and if I don't get your report on it, I won't be able to pass on it. Because I have a feeling it's a piece of,
0: <laughs> of <laughs> And I kind of, I kind of love how um, maybe he's like kind of behaving older at the studio as the narrator tells out has, has played played havoc with her language
2: <laughs> was there a network television show that used bleep bleeped audio uh prior to arrested development i i wouldn't think Arrested development is the first but they certainly used it a lot and i wasn't used to that when i when i watched it
0: i, I mean i can't recall other like network shows
2: bleeping stuff
1: i think they did it like on on south park and stuff on the television yeah
2: Yeah, but but South Park was cable, though. Oh yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's true. And and in many ways, Arrested Development was was a cable show that just happened to trick a network into airing it on network because the appeal wasn't. You know, you look at you brought up Big Bang Theory that the jokes are so so much more obvious and so much such a bigger bigger audience that it it works on network television. Something like Arrested Development, just I mean, the, the the fatal flaw was that it was so it appealed so much to this niche group. Um, that I guess DVR'd and and watched things on DVD and didn't watch network television. That it's amazing that they even got it on the network. But they, they're all, all sorts of gags that they pull are the kind of stuff and, and the kind of off color jokes, for example, that Tobias tells, the bang or the mouth, even That's stuff you just didn't see on network television.
0: I think it's interesting actually that they lean so heavily on bleeping stuff because there are TV shows, uh, for an example, for example, um, also starring Mort um, Myers from Arrested Development, The Goldbergs has a habit of just having characters swear and bleeping them like so often on the Goldbergs, like, um, I can't remember the actress who plays the mother, uh, Beverly, but she, she will just swear and they they just bleep her and they blur her mouth. And it's just something that they just do. (laughs) And I, I can't recall shows doing it before arrested development. I'm sure someone probably could think of an example. Um, but I do remember kind of like in the, like late nineties when there was all the fuss about NYPD blue, like swearing, yeah. And they they like they literally had it in the last three minutes of the show that was on at ten o'clock, so it was like just before eleven o'clock and that was as close as they got to anything. This of course baffles me because over here as soon as you get past nine o'clock, all T V just goes they just do whatever they want. So, you know, once we get past the watershed over here, uh you can do whatever you like. So having a show bleeped is just so odd um but yeah
2: yeah you guys over in europe you'll you'll you have hard porn, hard hardcore pornography on after night just on the airwaves <laughs> yeah so i understand
0: all the time just nonstop. stop it's <laughs> penises as far as the eye can see <laughs> um <laughs> now. title <laughs> now of course um tobias has changed out of his work clothes he's no longer mrs featherbottom so he's very angry um and you know when when tobias leaves maybe says we got to keep him trying and it is the job and i, I kind of love how <laughs> maybe he's kind of just running mrs featherbottom ragged kind of like not acknowledging the character is tobias and of course in in a in i think either the i think it's the next episode basically Tobias starts making attempts to be discovered as Mrs. Featherbottom, like outright. (laughs) And this is where Lucille enters, telling everybody that Oscar is going to throw uh, a party for Lucille's wedding anniversary. (laughs) I like that Michael says, uh, he is aware that he's not married to you, right? Uh, Which I think is quite funny. Um, And we see that Lucille has been given excuses to uh, no longer have sex with Oscar, including that it's her time of the month and uh, she doesn't want to risk having a baby um which, <laughs> <laughs> which i think is quite funny uh and of course we get we get a little bit in fact i think this might be the end of the joke where oscar does his thing where he talks about being buster's father and then the music plays because later on in the episode michael will turn to him and go will you shut up and that kind of cuts the music off so this might be the last time we get kind of this gag, but they lean on it really heavily in this episode where Buster goes to, uh, you know, Oscar goes to Buster for some advice and he says, I think, oscar says i think she misses my brother and buster goes my father and oscar goes yes and then of course
2: (laughs) piano music comes in yeah that's got to be one of my uh one of my favorite running running gags throughout the series is that that just that piano and the father my my father
0: (laughs) that happens a few more times in the episode and obviously buster talks about how everyone hates his hook and and we get to see oscar um using it and oddly they blur whatever is in the hook that oscar is smoking um, uh, which i thought was like a, a nice touch um you know so that you can't quite see where it is um but what yeah i think i
2: think you can't show you can't show marijuana use on uh, network television no uh, uh.
0: in the united states although, although they they do play um big yellow joint underneath uh like the little introduction i love that oscar has basically got these two themes going like very you know as running jokes just music as running jokes for oscar is is quite a big thing (laughs) um and this is where lucille i love when she goes who knows what goes on in that pot out of the mind of his um and the weird thing is despite oscar isn't married to lucille um, she decides that they're going to have a party, which, of course, you know, is a trademark of the Blues. They like to throw these big parties where things <laughs> kind of fall apart. Something, of course, which Michael will rely on later on um, as a plot device. But um, you know, <laughs> which, which. Won't actually go, kind of work for him.
2: Uh, going back to that, that joke about Lucille saying she doesn't want to get pregnant, you know, that's, it's pretty funny talking about her time of the month being that age. Uh, but even, you know, in the United States a couple of weeks ago, uh, not to get into politics, but a Republican congressman criticized Hillary Clinton as president, saying that, you know, what if it's her time of the month? Um and she has to make an important <laughs> foreign policy decision. Just totally you know, men and even uh you know, adult men politicians sometimes are oblivious to uh to how that all, all that works.
0: Yeah, I d do, I don't think Oscar is oblivious, but I think also he's not one to kind of push it. When Lucille says no, he's 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 not kind of he's just kind of you know, he he just respects it. Uh, you know that's that's what yeah no means about no
2: Oscar. in oscars yeah
0: role. i love that as Job comes in and finds out that they're having a party lucy <laughs> basically disinvites him straight away um <laughs> like to his face Wait, how many
2: how many times has he been on a, has been a disinvited from family parties i think quite a lot um but i just i love that um like straight
0: away she's like we i lo- and this is this is the introduction here of franklin delano Bruce, um and straight away lucille just says we're not having one of your stupid puppet shows um and i I like that job (laughs) says i did that once and a lot of people thought it was pretty cool um so but i don't know because obviously now we're we're more than a year into the kind of the life of the blues so i don't know when this took place it must have been before the show started like properly because obviously george (laughs) senior's there at the party but i i just i love how it's kind of like a fake call back to something and then it's immediately brought into the present um, and the narrator yeah. tells us that job had briefly introduced a puppet um, and I mean the entire the, the entire of this act is just an excuse for job to just kind of use uh kind of really weird language and kind of talk in this this particular this Franklin voice um and it's weird that we we're like basically Um, If you count, uh, you know, to the end of the third series from here, we're only 15 episodes from the end. We're basically two thirds of the way into the show. And only now are we getting introduced to Franklin, Uh, which is a pity because I would have (laughs) loved for this, like Franklin to have been in more episodes because I just love how stupid this joke is. And I like how George Sr. kind of takes it seriously. As um, Job, like with Franklin, goes to kiss Lucille at this party, and he says, "Let
1: me give that oatmeal some brown
2: sugar." <laughs> 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 and and, uh, and Judge, just... yeah, and I th- I, and. and, and... I think this is like the uh, like the ninth reference to Peanuts uh, in in the series. Uh, they they they, they continuously continuously reference Peanuts through season one, season two. Yeah. I, I don't think they do in season three, but in season four there are a bunch of references to. Are you, are you guys familiar with the Franklin character from Peanuts? Um,
0: not a hundred percent, but um, I mean, why don't you let us know
2: about it? Yeah. So fr- fr- Franklin was um Franklin was a uh, an, an African American character that they uh, they added into Peanuts, and it was very controversial at the time to have an African American character in a U.S. comic strip, um, and uh, they took a lot of flack for it, but it was, it was seen as like this very progressive thing uh, to include an African-American uh, cartoon character in, in Peanuts alongside Charlie Brown, Linus, and Lucy. Um, which is, what, I think, what makes the peanut the, the Franklin character even better in Arrested Development because this is by no by no means a progressive inclusive character. This guy is just a, <laughs> a caricature of black culture that is extremely offensive. And so, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's funny on its own, but if you understand it in the context of Franklin and Peanuts, I think it makes it even even more funny.
0: Yeah, it's like an interesting idea to introduce like a black character to this white family, um, and have it be a puppet. Uh, controlled by Blue, by by the, by, uh, by Joe, um, and
2: although sometimes you wonder if they if they especially George when he strangles Franklin whether he truly understands that it's just a puppet. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, or or at the end when Buster puts it on and it sort of takes over, it, it, Franklin <laughs> seems to have a bit of a personality of his own.
0: But I, I love that when we come out of the the flashback, Joe lets us know. And he says, um, Franklin oh. said some things where he just wasn't ready to hear. <laughs> and then Michael points out that he was beaten up outside of a club. And he goes,
2: he also said some things that African-American he wasn't ready to hear either. Uh,
0: yeah, that is a great line. <laughs> <laughs> and we get a bit of business here with uh, George Sr. being in the attic. I don't know why they, they decided at this particular point to introduce this baby monitor gag. Um, because George Sr. has been able to hear everything that's happened up to now like okay like there's been meetings that they've just held the yeah just through the vents so yeah i don't know why they introduced this idea here of the baby monitor um but i guess it's an excuse for Lindsay to misunderstand the intentions of uh, of george michael once again uh, as she did earlier mm. in the in the show where um with miss Bailey, where she seemed to imply that she wanted to have sex with uh, george michael <laughs> now uh <laughs> this is where we we find out from Lucille that uh, she you know she once got um a teddy bear with a camera in to see if anyone was getting serious with Buster which straight away that is problematic like the <laughs> idea that Lucille installed a hidden camera in Buster's room to basically watch him have sex with women that just like <laughs> that seems like they skate over that very quickly because they let you know that uh, as it turned out, he got too serious with the teddy bear.
2: And the joke—the joke that I th- was expecting, even as I was rewatching, because it's been a while since I've seen this—I expected her to say something like, "Turns out he was getting too serious with himself." Yeah. Uh, but then, when when it's actually the teddy bear, that <laughs> that brings up some imagery that uh, it's hard to hard to bleach that out of your out of your visual uh, mental image. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: But I mean, obviously, this just adds more to the kind of layers of, um, you know, of of Lucille and, and Buster. Um, the fact that she's monitoring him with a hidden camera um, and then of course this is where George Michael finds out that there's a party and he asks if Franklin's going to be there and George, Job says see that Mike kids love Franklin and George Michael says I just don't
2: want him to point at my cracker
1: ass in front of Anne." Yeah.
0: and I love I love that Job at this point seems to be the only member of the Blues family who remembers who Anne is
2: because he says <gasps>
0: Imagine what he'd say about her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> that's a line. That's a line that you miss, I think, sometimes on the first watch because you're, you're you're laughing so much at the first joke about the cracker ass, and you miss the the follow up. Imagine what he'd say about her. <laughs> so,
0: that, in fact, that kind of hints at a future storyline from season three. Job gets a new girlfriend. Um, the fact that Job is the only one who seems to be able to picture what Anne looks like in his mind, um, and also already <laughs> seems to have some insults ready via Franklin before. Uh, they even get to the party, and of course, we find out here that um, you know Lindsay has been at, has been talking with George Michael. Um, he wants to get pre-engaged to Anne, and there's a whole lot of jokes in this about pre-engagement and stuff like that. And
2: have you guys is pre-engagement a thing anywhere? Have you ever heard of any anybody being pre-engaged?
0: Uh, uh, I mean, I haven't. Jonathan,
1: is it a big thing? Is it a big thing in Georgia? Uh, no, <laughs> not the. Not that I know of, not in my circle.
2: I mean, I will say I have, uh, I have, um, relatives, uh, where they, uh, you know, very conservative, uh, religious upbringing. And uh, they were caught fooling around with like the neighbor kid and and the the reaction from the mother was oh let's let's marry these kids off, so at least they're not uh living in sin um and this was when they were, you know sixteen years old, so uh you know I, i'm I'm certainly familiar with the culture of early marriages to prevent uh fornication or what have you but uh pre engagement no, that's that's not a thing that i've uh that I've been exposed to. I wonder if it's if it's real in some circles.
0: I t- I mean I th- I think the weird thing is that um because obviously you know they they talk about the veals and um in uh, afternoon delight you know they talk about the second hour assignment prayer and how they're on Jerusalem time and I think there's just a lot <laughs> I think there's just a lot of st- I mean here they have like a, a pre-dawn mass and then they go to mass and Michael says well Anne certainly does have a lot of mass and um <laughs> like. There's a, there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of stuff about how the Veals have this odd religious thing going on, and I, I think that this whole pre-engagement thing is just another element of you know the whole kind of um, uh, like kind of weirdness of of the Veals just generally. So I, I don't know if th- it's, that's just like a commentary on that particular thing. But, yeah, it just seems like a an odd thing. Although I do love the gag about how Lindsay's talking about, you know, the, the engagement ring and the narrator says, Lindsay was currently wearing it on her middle toe. Roast beef. <laughs> um, which is <laughs> such a great joke. <laughs> George Michael, when he says, um, I feel like God moved her here from Ohio to be with me. And George Senior in the vent says, huh? um. And then this is where, this is where, you know, Lindsay says, um, when Michael says, this is the first I've heard of this, Lindsay says, well, who said her? Um, Michael goes, Michael covers it by going, me, that was, that was me, but um, her? And so, so already we've had two people say her about Anne. There will be more. And in fact, in the, in the cutscene scene um, that kind of comes around this time where, uh, well, actually it might be a little bit later, but where Job goes up to the attic and george senior says he wants to get with get back with his wife job goes her about lucille so this is one of the kind of heavier episodes where they keep that, using her as a as a joke
2: is that the first non and her uh reference
0: no the first non her reference was actually the very first time it was ever used when michael talking about steve holt he goes her um, because in the in the play <laughs> um, Tobias had, um had had gender swap the roles. Um and his his, conf-
2: oh, that's funny. his
0: confusion wasn't about the same way it is with with Anne about kind of why anyone would be with him. It was just about the fact that he was referring to Steve Holt as a her. <laughs> but yes. Now of course um <laughs> Mrs. Featherbottom returns with Maybes Blouse and um <laughs> and of course um you know saying that i haven't seen you in a week and michael says you tried to put a banger in my mouth this morning and (laughs) and already we can already we can see that mrs featherbottom is exhausted from the the kind of just the routine basically of trying to be tobias and mrs featherbottom and i i do kind of love david cross's line reading where he's like Was it this morning? I'm sorry, I'm just so
2: exhausted.
0: (laughs) And I just kind of, I love how, like, this is such a stupid thing to be doing. And obviously, you know, there was kind of a a touching moment in the first episode where, when Mrs. When kind of maybe was basically saying to Mrs. Featherbottom, stop doing this. Um, But I like here how kind of the realness of how exhausted it would be to pretend to be your own housekeeper kind of comes through. (laughs) And David Cross kind of, and even
2: the physical comedy, like uh, in one of the scenes where he, uh, Mrs. Featherbottom looks like she's running, walking out the door, but then at the last minute, uh, David Cross kind of takes a beeline to run upstairs, <laughs> and and it's just so great because because he's Tobias is really trying to sell this thing. He's really working his ass off to try to make this. To, to, to maintain this illusion. Yeah. And nobody cares. Everybody knows, but <laughs> he's still busting his balls. it's just great.
0: Um, and I, I love how, this is a joke that Arrested Development like really do re- very well. When Lindsay says, um, um, you know, if you say no, you're just going to drive him right to her. And then Michael runs in and uh, George Michael comes in and says, uh, hey dad, can you drive me to Anne's? And I love his thing where he goes,
1: mm,
0: yes. <laughs> and he, <laughs> He is literally going to drive him right to Anne at that particular moment. And I just, I kind of love it.
2: <laughs> I miss that. I miss that. He's like, I'll go wait in the car. Yeah, I did. I didn't realize that joke. And then he and he literally drives her to him. Yep. <laughs> drives him to her.
0: Yeah. it's And that, that is actually one of the lines that appears on the DVD menu. So it cycles around endlessly. And um, that's one of the that's things great. that kind of like, I see so many times where she just says you're going to drive him right to her. And that's what he does. And, <laughs> of course, um, you know, this is this is when uh, Job goes up to the attic. Um, and I I love I love that George Sr. plays this trick on Job when he goes to get Franklin. He puts Franklin on his hand and then George Sr. goes.
1: Get your loser hand out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And he does his own like version of the Franklin voice, and I love how Joe kind of just throws Franklin down and kind of jumps back as if he thinks Franklin has become like a real boy it's like a a really weird kind of like Pinocchioish ish type thing going on
2: yeah it's like it's like every cast member has their own Franklin inside them, sort of like uh later on we 'll see with the chicken dance, everyone has their own chicken dance uh, yeah. I, I see a, I see a parallel there
0: because obviously you know George senior has been missing for most of this season. Uh, from a lot of the characters lives um he hasn't really had any chances to interact with job apart from when they had the softball game and he was you know the uh he was the umpire um apart from that um he really hasn't had any time to interact with job so this is the first time that they're actually getting a scene together uh, all season and that seems kind of crazy um you know because like the last time they were together in any meaningful way was kind of like um before the hearing, when they were in prison, so it's almost a year in terms of like the the kind oh, of that, the, that is impressive. Yeah, so it's 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 amazing that they've managed to get so much stuff out of kind of George Senior being in the attic, and this is the first time that they've got kind of uh, Job actually meeting up with um, George Senior. And like I said, a lot a lot of this was kind of a bit more extended and cut out. Most of what was cut out was actually George Senior explaining the entire plot of what was going to happen <laughs> later on the episode. Where he was saying, go hire a limo, take me to this church, I'm going to go to a recommitment ceremony with Lucille. Like, he was basically explaining the entire plot, so I understand why they cut it out. Um, but we did kind of lose the line where, um, where he, he kind of pretended that Michael didn't know that this was going on.
2: Well, apparently Mitch Horwitz, and you, you may have talked about this on, pre- on previous episodes of the show, but Mitch Horwitz was famous for uh, being very late with the scripts. He was writing up until the last minute, yeah, and then even after they would shoot, while they would shoot, he would be on set writing changing. And then after they would shoot, he would be in the editor's room, basically rewriting the episode to make it more funny. Um, and then he would even rewrite new, new lines of dialogue that the actors would have to then come and and read in. If the character's back was to the camera. Um, and so you could, I, I can just, you could make a whole, a whole season of, of <laughs> cut, uh, clips from Arrested Development, uh, given how, how meticulous he was and just crafting every joke, yeah, every, every line of dialogue had to be funny.
0: There have been a few times when I've noted that there's a lot of ADR in some episodes, particularly the episode with um, Gilligan. You know, like there's a lot of cut scenes where people's backs are to the camera, and you know it's on the back of people's heads, and there's a lot of ADR lines just put in later on that are funny. But it just becomes really obvious in season two that there's a lot more ADR stuff going on, a lot more ADR gags being put in, um, and this this scene was a lot longer. Um, but you know, we do get we do get George saying that you've got to take me to this church. I found this brochure that Anne left behind. Uh, so obviously George Senior, <laughs> uh, you know, who said her uh, through the vent, he does also seem to understand to. Um, who Anne is as well. George Sr. and Lucille are both very cruel to Job in this particular episode. Uh, You know, Lucille disinviting him from the party straight away. And um, when (laughs) Job says, Dad, I'm going to make you proud, and George Sr. goes, well, never too late to start. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I I just love that. And we get to meet here Anne's parents, who have been talked about kind of in the abstract. Um, And we had that very weird mass in Afternoon Delight where they were singing German uh, with Uncle Paul. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that whole thing was very strange. So we actually finally get to meet um, Pastor Veal, played by Alan Tudyk. Um, And I feel like in 2005, Alan Tudyk was still relatively unknown. I think, you know, he had a small part in Superbad. He had a small part... um, playing a pirate in dodgeball, which is possibly one of the stupidest jokes ever in a film where he just, he's a pirate for no particular reason. But so he wasn't like huge. And obviously, um, you know, he'd also been in Firefly, which at this point was canceled. Um, so I don't know if it's just the fact that Fox seemed to like him, but not enough to keep Firefly on the air that they were just like bringing Alan Tudyk. Um, but I think he's a, he's a great choice here for pastor Terry Veal because he he, kind of uh, this interaction with jason bateman kind of shows how like obviously you know michael is often positioned as the good guy in the family um, but in this interaction with with pastor veal we find out that michael is as bad as everybody else basically because he and, and i love how um you know george michael and anna standing to one side whilst michael kind of I don't know. It, this is, this, it starts when when um, Pastor Veal says people treat you differently when they find out you're a man of God. And Michael goes, oh, believe me, I know. And then and then and then Pastor Veal's like, are you a church going man? And he's like, sometimes. Yes, I don't go religiously. And I love how Michael seems to be digging himself
2: deeper and deeper into this hole. And he's like, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a nut about it. Because there is no such thing as a nut when it comes to religion, Pastor.
0: <laughs> and uh, I love how Pastor Bill is like, oh, I've met a few. And he's like, uh, so I'm sure if you look
1: a, a little bit closer, you'll find some very earnest people that are just doing their <laughs> best.
0: And he, with each line, he just gets so much deeper into the hole that it just takes George Michael going, what
2: are you doing, Dad? You could see that, that he he really want like, he has a very genuine uh, desire to connect in an honest way with these people who he obviously thinks are, are nuts. Um, but doesn't want to make it awkward. And in so doing, trying his very best to connect with them in a genuine way, he just makes it super <laughs> awkward to which uh, George Michael says, what are you doing, dad? And he's like, yeah. I don't know. And I love, I love how that kind of like pulls, he, it kind of
0: pulls him out of this spiral. Um, in, in season, in season three, he, you know, um, I think Michael like classifies this as kind of like a, what his worst. Hello is what he says to one person. And I think this is probably his worst. Hello. Because it's just like so kind of tortured, uh, and then of course we meet Ione Sky <laughs> as uh, Mrs Veal. That is how she's identified. Um, now, I mean, Ione Sky, um, she she was kind of I'm not I'm not going to say big in the '80s, but she appeared in a number of kind of like '80s films. Uh, in in particular, um, say anything. She's the she's the girl to which uh John Cusack wants to say anything too um and you know uh she's she's kind of uh, she's kind of best known for that and also it, she was in um River's Edge with um with uh, River Phoenix uh, River Phoenix in River's Edge that makes <laughs> sense and she was in um a film that I remember quite vividly called The Rachel Papers which was based on a um, Martin Amis novel I think it is uh and uh, she's in that with Dexter Fletcher, uh, kind of has found fame more recently appearing in... Uh, I mean, he was kind of like a child star like she was as well. Um, and of course, you know, Ione sky she, she had a relationship with Anthony Antikydis, and then she was married to Ad-Rock from um, The Beastie Boys, and then she was married to uh, Ben Lee from uh Evanescence I think but like, basically she's she's known for being married to a, a lot of different uh, magician, uh, magicians musicians <laughs> um but yeah so it's kind of it's odd to see her here like playing a mother basically
2: yeah i i think it's just a testament to the to the uh the interest that all these different actors had in this show being successful the you know the the throwaway roles that they were willing to take on for you know just an episode or yeah. two I, um, I, I think there was a lot of a lot of interest within the uh, the actor uh, c- community to to get involved in, and participate in this very unique uh, experience.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well, of course, that she's the daughter of uh, Donovan Leach, the singer who taught uh, John Lennon how to do finger picking on a guitar. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so she's 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 kind of like half British, and obviously Alan Tudyk is also is British. So right. I think it's odd that they chose kind of like a. You know, like a kind of British-ish actors for the for the parents of Anne. And of course, uh, Michael, even though he's dug himself out of the hole with Pastor Veal, he can't help digging himself into another hole <laughs> with Mrs. Veal when he remarks... You know, because obviously Ione Skye is... I mean, she's beautiful. Even now, she's approaching 50, she's beautiful. She was beautiful in the 80s, and she's beautiful in Arrested Development. She is beautiful, and obviously that is the joke that they play on when... Michael says, uh, didn't, didn't realize you could remarry. And then of course, <laughs> my, and, and then of course, Michael's like, is this Anne's mother? And she just says, I'm Mrs. Veal. And he's like, uh, I'm sorry. I just, I did not
2: expect somebody so young.
0: Uh, and the irony is of course that Alan, Alan Tudyk and Ione Skye are almost exactly the same age. Uh, so that joke kind of really works, and then, then of course, and Michael
2: is just repeated. He's repeatedly, uh, you know, o- openly dis- discussing how ugly Anne is to her parents, and, uh, mo- all, you know, and then moments later realizing, no, I shouldn't be doing that because uh, that's offensive. But he he continues to make that mistake throughout the episode.
0: Yeah, but I I love that when um, Mrs. Veal says um, you're going to say how Anne and I could be sisters, he goes, No, I'd never say that. <laughs> 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 which is such a, a solid joke, um, and I love that the veals are so they're so behind this pre-engagement; like they see yeah. it as a good thing, uh, which is why I think it's probably meant to be like a commentary on their their like religious aspect rather than uh, you know like a, a common occurrence. Um, uh, but I, I just I just really like, <laughs> and then of course they want to celebrate by opening some um, sparkling apple cider, and then when Michael says no because obviously he doesn't want to celebrate the pre-engagement, but they take this as they take, they read this as he doesn't want the apple cider. He wants something stronger. And I love, I love how um, Alan Tudyk says, Oh, did did you want us to go down to the liquor store and get you some liquor?
2: Which is just, just because in their mind, like there's sparkling apple cider and then there's liquor that you buy at the liquor store. (laughs) Uh,
0: But I, and I, I I love that when Pastor Terry Veal says um, we got serious around his age and Michael goes, well, who could blame you? You've got to lock that down, uh, which, again, is such a, such a great commentary. This is where Michael gets the idea to introduce the veals, which, of course, forms the title of the episode. Um, you know, he wants to he wants to have the veals meet his family. Um, and I like how the narrator basically tells us Michael's plan before Michael kind of thinks of it. And that's when Michael devised
1: a new plan to win the veals disapproval.
2: Uh, and then Michael's <laughs> like, "You should meet my family. We're having an anniversary party." Which, for for the viewers who've been who've been watching the, this uh, disastrous family unfold over the past you know season and a half and change, uh, it's it's a it, you know it's a slam dunk. Like, yes, they're going to be appalled at this terrible family, yeah, um, which makes it so that much more funny that it doesn't immediately uh, pan <laughs> out the way Michael hopes. We we
0: get this. This is the first time that this joke will occur, but uh, in season three, there's an even better version of this very same joke, which is. Michael calls up Job, and he asks him to bring Franklin. And then Job puts Franklin on the phone, and we finish it. We finish it with Michael going. Um, no, no, no! I
2: don't want to talk. Hey, Franklin. And
0: I just, uh, <laughs> I love that you know what Job has done at the other end of this phone call. He's basically taken the phone and put it up to his hand. <laughs> and that michael feels like
2: yeah he feels compelled to to actually talk to the hand even though no one is hearing yeah
0: and that and the thing is like that that there's a there's an even better version of that joke in season three um I'll save that for season three, because it's such a great kind of joke.
2: It's just this this recurring the recurring uh, theme that it, that it that embodied is embodied in several different jokes that this, the, these people are just pretty stupid. They don't really understand <laughs> they don't understand how marijuana works. they don't understand how puppets work. yeah, um, they don't understand how the economy works. They're just totally out of touch in every way possible.
0: um And here we find out that Mrs. Featherbottom has been employed to cater the event um and he, Mrs. Featherbottom is limping around. And the narrator lets us know that uh, Tobias had attempted an entrance he hoped would <laughs> enchant his daughter. And then um, <laughs> and then we see Mrs. Featherbottom basically take a dive off the, uh, the kind of landing area into the
1: glass uh, table. Because
2: um, cause Tobias doesn't understand that uh, umbrellas <laughs> don't work
1: the way that they work in New Poppins. I love this joke so much. Um... You know, because it happens before you even really realize it. Like, I don't, what, I don't know how to describe it. It it just, it just happens so, it's just such a big moment. Yeah, it happens so fast (laughs) and it catches you so (laughs) off guard.
0: Your mother
2: this, we? Yeah, you sit there. You sit there for a minute. You're like, "What did What did I just see? Was <laughs> why, why did he jump off? He had an umbrella. What What is going on?" And it's all just in this quick, you know, scene that cuts back for just a second. Um, so much comedy and so little time.
0: Yeah, and of course, you know, Mrs. Featherbottom is limping around the party. One of the, this is kind of almost the start of things that will subdue the family because um, Lindsay is also quite subdued as well um, in a cut scene. Um, which we briefly mentioned, where she kind of she realizes that her marriage has taken a turn um, and uh you know we end up with Joe being quite subdued due to the fact that people keep trying to strangle Franklin, which of course is his wrist <laughs> um, which i kind of which I kind of love um, and then of course, this is where we get another of the uh, the Oscar father jokes, where he says, "Point out to your mother, your father hasn 't arrived yet, and of course. Buster says, just out loud, Sam, <laughs> so my father's not here. And then, of course, Oscar says, maybe he
2: is. And there comes the piano music again.
0: Yeah. Um, and I love that, that Michael is kind of encouraging um, people to kind of get more drunk when he says to George Michael, why don't you go top off your gangi?" He says that uh, after Mom's second vodka and Buster's second juice box, they're going to forbid Anne from seeing my son, much less taking his ring. And I'm still the good guy. And Lindsay says,
2: "So the <laughs> devout religious family—they're the bad guys." Um, <laughs> which uh, I—By I... the way, do we? Did you have you already addressed where where Gengi comes from? Do we know where Gangi comes from? Uh, what the name is that? Is that, is that a thing that people call their grandmas? Yeah, Gangi. I've never—is that. Just comp- is that just unique to Arrested Development, or I mean, do some families call it Grandma Gangi.
0: I d- I, th- I mean, I'm going to guess it's it, uh, it must come from somewhere in Mitch Herbert's family because a lot of the stuff from the show does.
2: But I I don't know. I'm- it's just such a it, it's such a strange. I mean, it sounds like gangling. It just it, it is kind of like a perfect name for for uh, Lucille Bluth. Yeah, because it's kind it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> a, like this sinister nickname for the grandma. I
0: mean, you have Gangi and Pop Pop are their nicknames, so. <laughs> I mean that just seems to fit them basically <laughs> yeah in, in retrospect, it really works. I just who came up with Gangi? I, do, I mean i don't know <laughs> i d i can't I can't recall no. like any explanation ever being given, um uh, but I have to assume it's just kind of like a i mean I don't want to bring up the, the big bang theory again, um but in that sheldon's grandma is memo, so I, I mean, I guess people just have odd nicknames for their their grandparents.
2: Yeah, my uh, my mom goes by uh, Granny, but that's you know that's not as yeah no that's, that's not as crazy as games. I,
0: I, I mean sometimes there's a choice between like people being called Granny or Nanny. You know, like Nanny is a common name for people's grandparents over here. So I don't know. It's just it's just it's just an odd thing that that the the show just kind of goes with, um, and I've never really questioned it up to this point. But we get we get a quick flashback to uh, maybe uh, because Michael says, says to Lindsay, you'll understand once maybe starts getting proposals. And the narrator tells us, actually, maybe had given to that day, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> uh, and this whole kind of like marry me thing has been such a like such a well realized joke that they have kind of built it up to this point where as a deflection, we now see the shortcoming. Uh, and we get a very, very brief <laughs> bit of um, Mather Zickle. Um, Who plays an executive who's on screen for like five seconds? Uh, And I don't think Mather is like, is kind of like a huge name. I'm gonna guess a lot of people, as I say Mather over and over again now, probably have no idea who I'm talking about. Uh, But to me, he's he's like very recognizable and he's he's kind of like been in a lot of a lot of stuff that I've seen, he's been on quite a few sitcoms. Um, he, I think he was the groom in, uh, Rachel getting married. Um, or he might be, he might be the guy who actually, and no, he's not the groom cause the groom is the lead singer from, um, that band. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's the guy who, who ends up, um, getting it on with, uh, Anne Hathaway in, uh, in Rachel getting married. Um, but he's also been in quite a number of, um, shows, um, in particular, um he's done a lot of stuff with um David Wayne. Uh he's been in children's hospital and wayne Wayney days. Uh he was in some Reno nine one one straight after being in this episode of, of Arrested Development. Um and he he most recently he was um on Masters of Sex as the husband of uh Johnson, not Masters, the other one. Um so, I mean, I know who he is, but I'm probably going to guess most people don't know who Mather Zickel is. But it just amused me seeing him for a few seconds here, uh, you know, tell him, tell him maybe that she's got the handwriting of a 15-year-old. And, of course, she says, marry me to him. <laughs> uh, and then when Jeff, the reader, shows up and says that he's done with the coverage, can I bring it to you at Bulbauer Towers? We see maybe with, like, um, two kind of, like, uh, pigtails in, um, and she's like on a razor scooter and she's doing as much as she can almost like Bart when he auditioned for a Radioactive Man and he does as much as he could to make himself look tall maybe he's doing as much as she possibly can to make herself look really young Um, and this is where we, we get the uh, the gate guard Mario who says "Um, you know you, you get a lot of uh, mail from the movie studio and she says I write a lot of letters to movie stars and he, say, he says you seem a little old for that and she says,
1: Baby sent me!
0: which is kind of that's one of my favorite kind they did they do the marry me deflection so often and then they she kind of just you know shouts marry like babysit me it's such a fun kind of twist on it
2: yeah and they just take these jokes to such to such absurd ends. like the idea that she would both be pretending to be really old in this job Mm. and simultaneously (laughs) or or, you know alternating between pretending to be super old and super young yeah uh, it's just it's just great (laughs) of course she's not going to school at any of this particular time she's just spending a lot of time (laughs) even though she's giving
0: her school assignment it said Jeff, the reader. It doesn't seem like she's actually attending school that much. You
2: know, the, the amount of work she'll go through to avoid doing any work at school. Is <laughs>
0: impressive yeah, uh, and I I love that when Jeff says, you know, that Balboa T- Tower seems so old. I love when she goes.
1: I'll send Dr Epstein your compliments, which
0: is such a lovely, kind of very specific <laughs> thing to say. And then of course she goes.
1: And may I add, marry me?
0: To which, of course, Jeff says, OK, and maybe realises she might be in need of a new deflection, which a lot of stuff that was cut out of the show involves the rest of the storyline for Jeff, the reader, because I don't think we see him again in the rest of the episode after this particular point, but in the cut scenes, which run to three and a half minutes. Uh, there 's a, there's a good minute and a half of that, which is just about Jeff the reader pursuing maybe um, in particular he he follows he follows maybe in the when she gets into the mini uh, in the golf cart um, and we see him and it 's a great bit of like physical comedy from Simon Hedberg as the golf cart 's battery dies, he gets out he grabs the charger lead and then he runs with it, trying <laughs> to find somewhere to charge it. And then he runs so far, and then he's just basically at the length of the lead, and he just drops it and then just starts running. Um, And then there was a short piece cut out of On the Next, where he basically, he's just sitting on a bus, all sweaty, and he has to get a bus home to Los Angeles. And, I mean, I understand why they cut the rest of that, because I don't think the storyline about Jeff the reader is particularly needed in this episode. Uh, But they went, they did a lot of stuff about this, kind of taking this gag to its very limit. Uh, and they just kind of cut it off here and just stop it, so they can kind of get back to the party. Um,
2: and yeah, of all the cutscenes, the Jeff the Jeff cutscenes, I I didn't think were particularly funny. Uh, you could see what they were trying to do, but it it didn't do much for me. I thought I thought some of the other cutscenes were were actually pretty pretty witty and uh, kind of sad they didn't make make the cut.
0: Yeah, um, and then of course when we get back to the party, um, you know, Mrs Mrs. Veal is being introduced to people. The Veals have finally arrived after their uh, their two masses. Um, and <laughs> when Lucille's, Lucille says to Mrs. Veal, are you sure this isn't her sister? Um, at the same time... What an awful thing to say. <laughs> yeah, Michael says what an awful <laughs> thing to say, while Mrs. Veal says what a lovely thing to say. And they say them over the top of each other. And it's so well-timed. Yeah, you
2: almost would miss it because because the dialogue is simultaneous. That's yeah. one of those jokes that you might not catch until you watch it a second or third time.
0: I love it. And of course, um, this is where Michael starts to go heavily on kind of talking the family down, where he points out that dad escaped from prison. Did you not know that? He says to Mrs. Bill when she's <laughs> eager to meet George Sr. So he's already kind of... This is where we see that George Sr. has been picked up by Job and Franklin. And the, the partition... Um, in the limo doesn't go all the way up or all the way down so it's stuck halfway (laughs) something that comes to play later on Uh, and they get to the gate guard uh mario played by mario Joyner, um who i was surprised because i recognized him from something but i didn't recognize him from this which is um he was in he's kind of worked a lot with um with chris rock but he uh he (laughs) he He was in the film uh, "Hanging with the Homeboys." He was one of the Homeboys. He's one of the, the four Homeboys on the cover, along with uh, Nesta Serrano and John Leguizamo and Dougie Doug. Um, and he also had he's done he did some voices for the uh, the Clerks TV series uh, before this, and he was in Putitang, Tang, uh, and um, he was obviously in Everybody Hates Chris because he was uh, you know friends with uh, with Chris Rock. Um and so it's just odd that he kind of just makes a very small appearance here. Um obviously, you know, um he, he was he was um about to kind of babysit maybe in the earlier scene and here <laughs> he he stops he stops the limo <laughs> and I, I love that um you know Job immediately kinda of caves um when Mario says to him, Is that Mr. Bluth there? And obviously, Job (laughs) assumes that Mr. Bluth is his father because, you know, that is how the joke usually goes. And
2: here, Franklin says, Hey, your daddy! How's it going,
1: brother? (laughs) And this is.
2: Which is, if there's one character in the show that you do not want to interact with Franklin, it's the one black character in the show. And so (laughs) everyone is just bracing themselves for for Job getting in big trouble here. And I
0: love that he kind of says, Do you want to pop the trunk and roll down the windows, please? And then he he waits like there's a I love the cuts here because we cut from, um, Job's face to George Senior's face to Franklin's face, and when we <laughs> stop on Franklin's face, it kind of pulls tighter and tighter on his eyes, as if there's going to be something in there. But I I it's just such a it's. Such such a great kind of like
2: series of cuts even the fact that even that even the fact that franklin said something kind of offensive to the guard suggests that job isn't actually controlling franklin cuz job is clearly he wants to downplay the situation he doesn't <laughs> want to draw attention to it but franklin somehow has a mind of his own and then of course i love how mario takes a few seconds and then goes <laughs> i'm just messing with you Hey Franklin, how you doing,
0: little man? And I love that this guard is <laughs> they're, so. They're friends. Yeah, I love how how the guard is so into Franklin as a like as a character. Like he's he he seems to really like. <laughs> he's Franklin. the one guy who likes him. Yeah, it's, I I feel it feels to me like this is the guy that encouraged like Job to keep Franklin in his act. Like <laughs> the fact that he got this good reaction from the gate guard probably on his way to that gig where he got beaten up. <laughs> you know that that's um pastor veal is delayed because he had a last minute vow renewal something that was explained in the cut scene that was um cut out that it was of course george senior and then obviously uh you know job is trying to figure out with um george senior i think they're in the kitchen next door to where the party is actually happening um and obviously you know (laughs) george is like Knock her out with ether and stuff her in this garment bag, <laughs> and and then of course he says, anyone you any anyone sees you do the same. And then this is as the, the camera's tight on both George Senior and George Junior in this situation. <laughs> and then it, as it as he says that, it just turns a little bit and it puts Mrs. Featherbottom in frame. And this is where we get probably my favourite Mrs. Featherbottom moment, which is where Tobias goes. I a little he, out the, he like runs out of the kitchen, um, and it's such a such a great moment because um, you know Tobias and Mrs Featherbottom both already know that George Senior is in the attic, so they don't really have anything to fear because George Senior George wouldn't be that concerned of them telling anyone because obviously they haven't told anyone so far. Um, but I just, I just love, I love how quickly, um, Mrs. Featherbottom exits the kitchen singing a song as if, as if this is a situation to be like a Mary Poppins type (laughs) character.
2: Yeah. It just shows, it shows Tobias, uh, you know, it really is a method actor when it comes to Mrs. Featherbottom, which is, it's a shame that his acting career really didn't (laughs) take off, uh, given this raw talent that he has. Uh,
0: uh, This is where George says, use his handkerchief, you know, to get the, to knock her out with the ether. And then he says, um, <laughs> again, this is a wonderful Franklin moment where, uh, you know, Job says he doesn't have a handkerchief. And he's like, well, put ether on the puppet's lips and have the puppet kiss her. And of course, Franklin says,
1: I ain't kissing that old bitch. <laughs> and <then> of course. <laughs>
0: George starts strangling Franklin and Job goes, that's my wrist. But I love that as he's saying, that's my wrist, Franklin goes, hey, man, that's his neck. Which is just weird. Franklin, like he's staining. Job also, as with Mrs. Featherbottom, he's staining character of of doing, uh, you know, Franklin's voice. Now, of course, this strangling uh, is the reason that Job, uh, when he goes into the party, he has like his wrist is like very sensitive. And that's kind of that. that's the thing that kind of makes him kind of a bit downbeat. And um, and obviously he's you know, he's left Franklin in the kitchen. So Franklin isn't even there to kind of make remarks. So once again, the family are being very kind of like, you know, Joe just says, nice to meet you. and Mrs. Veal says, what a lovely family. And Michael's like, does it seem that way? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just I, I love how hard it is for him to get his family to kind of be terrible um and then of course we get a little interaction here between uh george michael and um michael where you know obviously michael already knows about the whole pre-engagement thing um and so when george michael tells him about he's going to give her a, a pre-engagement ring michael kind of cuts him off and says ring before he gets a chance <laughs> to say it And uh, I like that Michael's like, wow, that catches me off guard, George Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: tries to tries to line that back.
0: Um, And then, of course, he he, as with the kind of the hello to Pastor Terry Veal, he goes into this really weird kind of like monologue where he tries to um, try to talk George George Michael out of it. Yeah,
2: Michael, Michael trying to speak religious just doesn't (laughs) it doesn't quite work for him.
0: Um, but I, I love that we get a joke here. We get this is the first appear, uh, first appearance, I think, of the um, the use of the words the mere fact. George Michael and Michael Sarah delivers this so beautifully, where he's he's like um, you know uh, he goes maybe I should ask if she wants to get pre pre engaged, uh, and, and I love how he kind of trails off going at <laughs> another, and then, and then Michael goes the mere fact that you're laughing about marriage means that you're not ready. (laughs) And then of course, this is where uh, Lucille (laughs) gets dragged into the kitchen by Job. And this is is where Job brings out Lucille. And he, uh, I I like that Job kind of switches like character midline where he says, uh, I had an old friend who just wants to tell you how much I miss you. And when he says how much I miss you, he turns into the Franklin voice. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know what Lucille says, but she gets censored when she says, who let this little black, and then she, she gets censored there. And, and then, of course, this is where Buster enters, and I love that Job stays in character as Franklin, and when Buster says, hey, brother, he goes, who you call him brother, you hook ass? And then he just starts, like, I just, it, I just, I just love it. I love, I love how he kind of basically knocks out both Lucille and Buster with the ether. Um, and obviously, as Buster goes down screaming <laughs> mother he uh he sets off the rape horn when um we've had like obviously a, a few episodes now with um with uh, Buster having the hook, but i don't think George senior's actually been part of that storyline yet um so it's interesting that this is when George senior sees um Buster on the floor with his hook on his hand. <laughs> He says, what the hell kind of puppet does Buster have on his hand? Which shows that he doesn't even realize that Buster's lost his hand. Um, And then, then of course, Joe goes to Franklin, your breath. And then as he puts his Franklin near his mouth, he basically knocks himself
2: out. Yeah, just reinforcing that Franklin's a puppet with a mind of his own.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, uh, you know, this is where Mrs. Veal wants to be taught um about the the, se- the secular world and i just love this kind of weird the fact that she latches onto the kind of the word secular and she
2: keeps saying it yeah. so often to michael <laughs> it's such a weird thing it's like while michael says in the in the secular world just the just the utterance <laughs> of the word secular somehow turns her yeah
0: <laughs> um and I, I, yeah he i mean he says it like twice and then she's like take me to your secular world and then, of course, they start kissing. Uh, you know, George Michael happens to, um, <laughs> happens to uh, this happening. And when he goes back into the party, he says to Lindsay, um, he, can't, he says, first he's saying, I need to respect the sanctity of marriage. And then he's making out with her on the balcony. And I like how the fact that George Michael says the word her makes Lindsay think of Anne. Because she goes, she goes. <laughs> I thought he didn't even like Anne.
2: Like, as if that's the appropriate reaction to uh, her brother making out with his son's girlfriend <laughs> is wait, I thought he didn't like her. Not oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah, uh,
0: obviously, again, that hints at something that happens in season three, um, uh, where one of the Bluth boys ends up making out with Anne. Um, but yeah, so I just I like I like this whole thing about you know. Um, and then, of course lindsay who 's been reasonably sensible in this whole episode, uh, she then offers up the ring which she 's been keeping on roast beef, and she basically just puts her foot in the air and tells George Michael to take the sacred ring um, and then of course, she says
2: you know i didn 't catch that i didn 't catch that roast beef joke until until I watched it in preparation for this for this episode, uh, <laughs> had they been calling toes roast beef prior to this to this no, uh, episode? It's just
0: it's just a reference. They just they just started. Yeah, it's just a reference to, to the little <laughs> just, piggies We get a lot more of um, of Mrs Veal and Michael who is who is still out on the balcony, and, um, and she says, "I can't believe we're making love." And Michael's like what are you talking about we're not making love. <laughs> and then of course she talks about how she wants to please him secularly uh, which is such a weird kind of thing. And, and I love how actually here here he, once again Michael um he doesn't call, usually he ends up calling Anne of, of like uh, whatever whatever object someone mentions before her name um you know like uh, glitter yeah. or plant or um various other kind of inanimate objects but in this particular thing, Egg. he kind of cover, he he covers it up by having when he says I was surprised because of Anne, and she goes Why because of Anne? And he goes Because of an old wives' <laughs> tale, and I uh, <laughs> it's kind of what like one of the, the odder pivots that he uh, he makes where, where, he, where he, he kind of uh, he he covers up a line. Um, and then, of course, this is where we get the reveal from um, Mrs. Featherbottom that she is, of course, that she is not Mrs. Featherbottom; that she is Tobias. And I love how she does this with Michael, where um, she talks about like kind of uh, young masters proposing, and um, <laughs> and I love when he says uh, she saw you pounding that sweet piece of veal, um, which is an odd way to refer to <laughs> Mrs. Veal. But uh, and then, of course. Uh, he says that she he left with Lady Lindsay. And I don't know why he pronounces it that way. Like he puts the, kind of like a H before the L. It's such a weird way to say it.
2: Um, it's just someone trying to sound like they're English, but they they don't even really understand how the action yeah. works.
0: Um, and then this is where, of course, Tobias goes, it's me, it's Tobias. <laughs> but he says that after Michael has said <laughs> Tobias to
2: him. So Tobias... That's right. He's just so eager to be discovered. He just—he's just dreaming of that final scene and Mrs. Doubt. Yeah.
0: So I—I I love kind of um, how how quickly he he kind of caves and just reveals himself as Tobias. Which of course means that Tobias is like it, it makes Michael the only person who knows that George Senior is in the attic and that Tobias is Mrs. Featherbottom. He's—he's um, he's the only one who's—who's who's got those two secrets to keep and then of course you know Oscar finds Buster knocked out in the kitchen um and um this is where, this is where you get this really weird thing where um you know Oscar says that they they're going to renew their vows he goes um you know he's 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 my twin i think this like i i know what he's thinking and it's weird that they haven't really played <laughs> more on that kind of thing but um and of course this is where Maybe says uh, she, she comes in we have maybe Mrs. Featherbottom uh, Mrs. Veal and Michael in the kitchen with, with Oscar and, and Buster and Maybe says that she saw them drive off they're going to look for Bland which of course was the that's a callback all the way to um, see, the end of season one because that's what she referred to them as. And, and I love how Maybe says who's the hottie to Mrs. Veal and when Michael says this is Anne's mother Maybe of course goes Her? Uh, and that is one more person <laughs> saying her, but this time at Anne's mother, which I think, and I love that she goes. Does she look old enough to play Topher Grace's mom? Which is such a, such a very specific reference. But yeah, and so obviously, you know, they they go they go off to the chapel. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Tobias had a rented a car for, to maintain his ruse, which seems like taking it very far to rent yourself like one of these minis with like a, a union flag on the top. It's just.
2: <laughs> and, uh, and and to drive into oncoming traffic as if. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to really sell the part of being on the wrong side of the road, basically. That's method. That is method.
1: She also says that she had it shipped over from Blackstool and. <laughs> But, I, I, I won't.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's one that I didn't catch until the transcript I think.
1: Yeah, I won't meant, I won't describe what it is on air, but it's a very, very unpleasant fungus, fungal disease, I think. Uh, if you're, is this, uh, if you're so, Jonathan, are you speaking from experience? Yeah. No, no, definitely not. <laughs>
2: Did you, do you do recommend we just we, we direct the listeners to just do an image search of Blackstool uh, on, on the Google after the show? No, don't do that
0: because um, obviously it's a play on Blackpool, um, but I love uh-huh. I love that he says uh, it's what I used to drive the Roger Moores' around in. I just find it odd, I find it odd that. Uh, Mrs. Featherbottom refers to the Roger Moors in like refers to the Moore family in this this weird plural. But and then of course the narrator has possibly one of my favourite lines in the entire series, where he says Lucille awoke half in the bag, um, which obviously uh-huh. you know is an expression for Lucille's state most of the time. Um, but in this case, she is literally half in a bag. Um, <laughs> I didn't catch that. And she wakes up saying what am i doing in a nordstrom bag uh and then this is this is where (laughs) this is where we find out that that neither does the partition go up but the radio also doesn't work uh (laughs) and you know uh lucille and george start to uh to make love in the back of the limousine which of course this is something that uh job has expressed um kind of discussed at previously because he he has a very kind of proprietary, I think is what he, he calls it, he has a sense of propriety. Um, he doesn't <laughs> want to imagine his parents having sex, which I don't think anyone ever does. But it's unlucky that three times in the show, Job ends up um, being a witness to this particular act. And this is the second of three times that that happens. So basically, once each season, he ends up seeing this. And he's the only kind of member of the Blue family who has expressed such a, a very specific disgust at the idea. Um, and I, I kind of love that this, of course, means that Job is, is now racing to get to the church. Um, and he's passed by George, Michael, and, and Lindsay, uh, who were followed by uh, Mrs. Featherbottom. Um, and <laughs> this is where, as you say, Mrs. Featherbottom is driving the wrong side in traffic, saying, uh, I keep forgetting I'm in the colonies. <laughs> um, which I I kind of That's what you
2: that's what you referred to the states as when you come over here right you say uh the colonies
0: yeah that's a that's a common thing is uh, is referring to stuff as the colonies such a such an odd uh, kind of turn of phrase um but yeah and then there was a very long cutscene um that kind of came after this point um where we saw um you know Michael arriving at the church with Mrs Featherbottom and the rest of everyone who's in the mini and <clears throat> He, on, on the advice of Tobias, he, he tries some reverse psychology and he gives his approval to Anne and George Michael, which of course means that they then go into the, into the chapel to get married rather than just pre-engaged. Um, and it's funny because yeah. when they arrive inside the chapel, you see Michael and Mrs. Featherbottom and everyone with um, George Michael and Anne. But obviously you have kind of you don't really get to see how they, they come together as a group uh, when all the scenes are cut. But, yeah, there's there's about a minute or so of stuff of them kind of meeting them and, and having a discussion. Um, and of course, inside the Church of the Good Shepherd, which should be noted, is the church bus that they, they have the church bus that took the... Uh, in staff infection, took the staff to the island of Catalina. Pastor Terry Veal is officiating, and I love these kind of vows. And it was worth noting as well that George is wearing the uh, the bag like over himself
2: as like a disguise. <laughs> <laughs> a... Oh, Yeah, I was, I was a little bit confused by that at first. Yeah, it's I was the like Nord- why does he look like Darth Vader? <laughs> <laughs> like a cheap Darth Vader outfit.
0: It's it's a, it's the Nordstrom bag that he's now wearing, and I love how he says <laughs> like his his um. His his vows are um, uh, to love and honour you, your spirit and flesh, first the flesh, I will caress and tweak, I will nibble and bite, I will blow <laughs> alternatingly hot and cool. And that phrase, alternating hot and cool, is something that will come back in season three. But I love that Anne is very excited about
2: getting married on hearing these vows. <laughs> um and may whitman really sells yeah, the recurring joke of the easily excited uh easily aroused religious yeah man.
0: but i i love how much may whitman sells the line where she's like i can't wait to get married and then you know george michael kind of he he finds um he finds ann um they they use the excuse the narrator says Anne went to cool down um whereas it's obvious they're just covering up for like a, an editing thing here where uh, George Michael then asks Anne to uh, to get pre-engaged, which but, but he says by saying, I want to ask you, will you one day intend to marry me? Um, and he and he asks for her to kind of get back to him before the uh, the real hard AP stuff kicks in, he says, which is kind of, which is, which is odd, because this season I don't think we've really seen much of George Michael, or maybe at school, uh, that was quite a big story in the first season, but in this season, we've only really had like the...
2: yeah somehow they just exist in this universe where yeah. you don't actually have to go to school. They've the
0: had they, like we've had like the immaculate election, and we you know we've had a few things set at school, but only very briefly. It hasn't really been a, a kind of school heavy season. And then of course this is where Anne says, "Let's get married," <laughs> and uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, and then of course when we get back inside we find out that George is still going through his vows and he says we'll always be here for you to rest your ankles upon my shoulders uh, which paints a very specific <laughs> picture of what would be happening between Lucille and George Sr. that her her uh, her ankles would be <laughs> on his shoulders um, and th- this is where of course you know um, Michael shows up um, in the church and then you know, Oscar shows up, and then of course uh, they 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 get into a fight, which is so perfectly done because
2: yeah, this is where they pay off that joke about t- twins thinking uh, alike. knowing what each other. Yeah, think. because
0: they basically <laughs> yeah. don't get to hit each other at all. Like, every single time they go to do a move, the other one mirrors it exactly. Uh, and I don't know who the double is for uh, Jeffrey Tambor, but he does a really good job of kind of matching him uh, here. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, this is where uh, we, where Pastor Veal finds out that Mrs. Veal kissed him on the balcony. <laughs> I love that Michael calls back and says, um,
1: "She
2: started kissing me. You really should lock that down." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, of course, you know, uh, Pastor Veal starts fighting with Michael. Um, and then the police are delayed because uh, they had cornered a kidnapping suspect. And this is, it's very rare that Arrested Development makes any kind of social commentary at all. Um, but in this particular case, you have Franklin, who is basically immobile on the hood of the limo. And the police are like, put your hands up or we'll take it as a sign of aggression against us. And then the policeman says, yeah. they're not up, he's yeah. aggressive. And they're basically attacking this puppet only because he's black um uh which i which i kind of like
2: yeah that that unfortunately unfortunately is still a very uh, a very relevant uh thing to yes. be to be emphasizing today maybe even more so today than then
0: obviously when Fra- When Franklin makes his reappearance in season three, he actually wears a T-shirt that says, George Bush doesn't care about black puppets, (laughs) uh, which is possibly one of my favorite jokes in the entire show. Although, obviously, kind of a very dated joke now, but still, I think it applies. You know, as Mrs. Featherbottom runs in, she says, look at all the bobbies, uh, (laughs) which uh, is such a kind of weird line. First of all, they ask, who's this guy (laughs) to Mrs. Featherbottom? To which Lindsay says, this guy is my husband. Uh, once again, asserting that she kind of... Over season two, despite the fact that they've had an open marriage, uh, Lindsay and and Tobias have seemed like they've got a lot closer to each other. Um, so I guess that's just like another sign of that. And then, of course, this is where Mrs. Veil once again says secular when she says that she fell under the spell of that horrible secular family. Uh, so in a roundabout way, Michael's plan works. And, of course, Michael says... Could have used that horrible family stuff about a half hour ago. You know, Lucille is happy that Oscar fought for her. Uh, and then, um, you know, he, he basically says that he, he broke his ankle. And, of course, Lucille says, let's alternate hot and cool on that. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, George Michael, he speaks with Anne. They kind of decide that they're not going to get married. Um, and Michael says kind of, I mean, this is one of the very few times when Michael is kind of been a good dad. And he says you need to get to know each other better before you can be comfortable going all the way with it. Um, Obviously, he's talking about marriage and Anne misinterprets this (laughs) and she says,
1: Sounds like your
2: father just gave us permission to start doing it. Teach me, George Michael. You must teach me the ways of the secular flesh.
1: (laughs) What you trying to say
0: to me? Um, And then we get a little bit of music that kind of finishes the episode while we're on uh george michael's um understandably confused face <laughs> um, and nobody
2: sells that understandably confused face better than michael Sarah.
0: and then on the next we find out that um buster his uh he finds someone interested in kissing his hook and the <laughs> drug dogs basically take his uh his hook um and then we get a very quick cut where Lucille says that um, they're not going to let you in the country club with that because Buster has a hook replacement, and that hook replacement is Franklin. And Buster says,
2: I don't want no part of your tight-ass country club, you
0: freak bitch! And I love how kind of angry Buster is just because he's got Franklin on his hand. Um, Though I am slightly confused as to how Buster would make Franklin's uh, mouth move. Because obviously, if it's on the hand that where his hook should be, he has no way of moving the mouth because he's holding Franklin's hand. Because obviously, Franklin is a hand puppet, but he has he has like the Muppets. He has like stick hands that you move with a stick. Yeah, and so he's doing that. He's moving the stick with his hand, but he's also making Franklin talk um, with his other hand. But he doesn't have his other hand.
2: More more evidence that in universe Franklin is a, a sentient puppet. It's yeah. Not, uh...
0: That would be the only explanation, wouldn't it? Based um, on
2: all the evidence, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but I love as well that the Buster's kind of one of the few people that uses Franklin and doesn't get censored while using Franklin. Like, almost every other time <laughs> Job says something with Franklin, he ends up getting bleeped out. And, of course, uh, Tony Hale is known for being fairly religious himself, and he doesn't generally use any kind of bad language. Um, a notable exception, of course, was the uh, Veep finale um, this year where he basically let off a torrent of kind of um abuse and that was notable because his character never does that and that's the same with buster yeah. um in the show he never swears and when he gets bleeped out swearing all he's doing is reciting the alphabet
2: <laughs> oh really yeah he he deploys his profanity tactically uh, yeah so the
0: about. fact the fact that, that t- tony hale decided that using franklin was the, the time to um t- to say freak bitch uh i just love yeah. that um but I also, I also love that it seems to be a trait of Franklin that he has some kind of anger directed at Lucille. <laughs> um, something that kind of comes out through the Bluth boys as they use Franklin is they all seem to hate Lucille. Um, although Franklin obviously, you know, Um, he enthusiastically gives her some brown sugar. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I love that. I love that basically this is, this episode kind of almost makes it seem like Franklin has been around as part of the family for, you know, forever. Yeah. So is there anything else that you guys want to talk about when it comes to this episode?
1: One thing that I really love is, um, and this, this is really kind of obvious, but I love how in this episode, you know, Michael is normally like the straight character who has to get his family out of trouble but in this one, he's, you know, along with his family, you know, he keeps digging himself into a much deeper hole, and that just really, uh, contributes to the really hilarious chaos that ensues in this episode.
2: I don't, did, did we, did we mention that the, uh, script that maybe is reading in one of the early scenes on this episode is, uh, called Hot Mother, which is a callback to a prior episode where, uh, yeah. a break, break, uh, Buster out of, um, Mother, mother boy. <laughs> mother
0: boy, thirty. Yeah, Operation Hot Mother. Yeah. Is it called just Hot Operation Mother Hot or is mother. it called Operation Hot Mother?
2: Uh, I don't recall. I, I, I wrote both ways in my notes.
0: Uh, I feel like if we've covered everything, then it, this would be a good time to go to the plugs. Uh, and I'm going to start with Jonathan first. Jonathan, do you have anything you wish to plug?
1: You can follow me on Twitter if you feel so inclined. It's just at Jonathan Frederick, except the K at the end is missing. So yeah, you can find a link to my blog where I. Write about movies sometimes. So uh
2: you can uh subscribe to my podcast, uh, poorly summarized. Uh I co host it with uh with a friend of mine, Michael Smith. Uh ostensibly we cover uh trending stories on social media, but in reality we mostly just make fun of Donald Trump and stupid memes and the stupid people that make them. Um so it's a lot of fun. Great stuff. Well, thanks to both of you guys for joining me today. No problem. Thank you, and thanks for having us. On the next
0: episode of I've made a huge mistake. We are gonna be on spring break again. Um, so, if you observe that holiday, then, you know, take the day off to listen to that episode. If you're not orthodox, then you might just have to take a sick day or something to cover it. Uh, it's the return of Kitty. Um, and we, we are then, you know, into the, the final episode of season two, which, you know, to me comes four episodes too early because really I would have liked 22 more episodes um, rather than just 18 for the second season. So, uh, join us next time. Uh otherwise goodbye bye bye